Hello, this is Kevin Thompson. I'd like to welcome you all to the Davis McGrath LLC IPA webinar series for January 16th, 2013. Today's topic is trademarks and the likelihood of confusion. We're going to be going for about 30 minutes today. Uh, the recording and slides will be posted at the address shown on your screen, which is blog.davismcgrath.com forward slash webinars, where you can also sign up for our webinar mailing list. Uh, for those of you who need Illinois MC Elite credit, uh, if you haven't already done so, please send your name and ARDC number to me. Uh, for those of you watching uh, the recording um, and you need Illinois MC Elite credit, uh, please send me your name, ARDC number, and how you came to uh, view the recording. Our next webinar is coming up on February 6, 2013 from 12 to 1230 on the topic of trademark dilution. So today uh, we're going to go through some trademark basics uh, and uh, talk a little bit about trademark distinctiveness and how those factor into the likelihood of confusion test. And then uh, we spent a good majority of our time going through some recent uh, trademark trial and appeal board cases. Uh, uh, some of them are uh, ex parte appeals of uh, application refusals, um, some are oppositions, and uh, I believe one is cancellation. So just briefly, um, I know we've covered a lot of this before in some of our prior webinars, uh, but just in case, uh, uh, trademarks uh, range uh, in strength of what we call distinctiveness. Uh, the, the bottom rung is uh, generic terms, um, which uh, such as aspirin. Uh, descriptive terms are the uh, words that are just merely describe the goods or services. Suggestive terms are ones in which uh, they may take a mental step or so to, for, for you to dis decide uh, that what they refer to, um, uh, they're more suggestive as opposed to merely describing. And the next up above that are fanciful, coined, or arbitrary terms such as Kodak uh, for photographs, um, or an arbitrary term would be something like Apple for computers, uh, where um, uh, it has no particular meaning. Uh, in, in the context of computers. It's a regular term just arbitrarily used for that. Uh, it factors into the uh, likelihood of confusion test in a couple different ways. Um, but uh, it's important to keep in mind, uh, you know, the strength of the mark when you're looking at trying to evaluate things. Um, there are 13 factors that courts and the uh, Trademark Trial and Appeal Board use uh, when deciding whether or not uh, two, two marks are confusingly similar to one another. And um, the first four are the ones that are used um, most often. Uh, the first is the similarity of appearance, sound, connotation, and commercial impression of the mark. And this is where you know, the marks are visually and audibly compared. Uh, the next is the similarity of the goods or services. And this is where uh, the uh, actual goods or services between the two marks are compared. And, um, for trademark trial and appeal board decisions, uh, they're limited by the scope of uh, just what's actually listed in the application or registration. Um, next is the similarity of trade channels. This is um, like um, a comparison of, of how uh, you know the marks might be seen or or uh, put into commerce uh, into the stream of commerce. Uh, just what what channels that they might be in, um, if. Um, could could be uh, that there there are similar channels or or you know quite different and a lot depends on the facts. 
Um, the next is uh, the conditions under which sales are made, whether these are impulse or sophisticated purchases. Yeah, sophisticated purchases generally uh, allow for uh, you know, more similarity of the marks. But uh, there are a bunch of other factors as well. There are 13 in total. Um, so just looking at some of these other factors, uh, one thing that courts may look at is uh, the fame of the prior mark, um, the number and nature of similar marks used on similar goods, uh, the nature and extent of any actual confusion that might be found, uh, the length of time during and conditions under which there has been concurrent use, um, the variety of goods on which the mark is or is not used. Um, this is where a house mark, um, you know, might uh, come in to come into play, and we'll see one of those. It's one of the cases we're going to be talking about. Um, next is uh, the market interface between the applicant and the owner of a prior mark. The extent to which the applicant has a right to exclude others from use of its mark on its goods. Uh, the extent of potential confusion, such as whether um, there may be de minimis confusion, you know, going on between the parties, or whether it's like substantial confusion, you know, the, 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 you're able to point to real life, um, uh, you know, confusion there. Um, and then any other established fact that's probative of the effect of use. That, that factor isn't used very often, but, it, but it's there in the test, and um, it certainly could come up from time to time, and that's where um, the court or the, the, or the board could uh, shoehorn in some other factor that's, uh, that's important based on the particular facts of the case. And so here uh, we're going to uh, take a look at some trademark trial and appeal board cases. Um, this would be a good time to point out that at any point uh, throughout, if you have questions, uh, the software allows you to ask it and uh, raise your hand, and I'll do my best to answer as we go along. Otherwise, uh, there will be a question and answer session at the end. Um, and those of you watching the recording, uh, feel, please feel free to you know, call or email me with your questions. Uh, the first case is uh, sort of an interesting one. Um, uh, there is a cancellation petition that was filed by uh, the owner of the mark, um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, you might think that that's a government entity, but it is not. It's a, it's a private group, um, and um, uh, it had uh, you know sought cancellation of another registration that was already on the registry. Uh, for the mark United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And um, there's a lot of issues in this particular case. Um, the opinion goes on for 107 pages, which is unusual. Um, you know, most uh, board decisions are done in 12 to 15 pages. So this one goes on for 107. Uh, so that should tell you that there's a, a lot going on here. Um, and there's a lot of evidence. Um, essentially, there was a petition to cancel. Um, there was a counterclaim for uh, genericness of, of the um, uh, mark that was used to oppose this U.S. Chamber of Commerce mark. And along the way, um, the respondent's mark, this United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce mark, uh, was canceled on its own uh, for failure to file a Section 8 affidavit of continued use. Um, and the opposer was given the, the option, you know, whether or not to get a default or, you know, whether they still want a decision of the merits. Um, and uh, they decided to go forward. Um, and um, uh, so just going through, uh, this, this case is great because it goes through a lot of the factors uh, in, uh, in the, the um, 
the 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 Dupont test. Um, the one it starts with is the second, um, which is the services, and uh, it certainly finds the Chamber of Commerce series uh, services uh, that the uh, registrant provides are certainly related to the association services that the petitioner provides, um, and it should be noted that uh, the petitioner's uh, registration is not limited to you know Hispanic businesses. Um, you know, it certainly could cover, you know, the same, you know, they, they could certainly appeal to Hispanic businesses as well. Um, you know, so this certainly found, a, you know, that this, they were related, and so this factor weighed in the favor of the petitioner. Um, the next thing they looked at is the trade channels. Uh, certainly these were related. Um, and then they looked at the conditions of purchase, um, although uh, they so certainly uh, would have been uh, done with, um, uh, you know, dealing with businesses, um, uh, you know, that they both certainly appeal to the same. And if anything, this this particular factor was neutral. Um, and then they they looked at the fifth and sixth factors, uh, with both relate to the strength of the petitioner's mark. Um, uh, the first is fame, and uh, you know that they, they did find that uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is um, a well-known mark. And had had to, a certainly degree uh, obtained a certain degree of fame, um, but the sixth factor, looking at the strength of the uh, petitioner's mark, uh, they found it uh, rather weak. Um, you know, it's it's composed of of common terms, um, and while it, they weren't necessarily generic, you know, so their their counterclaim for cancellation was denied, um, but uh, the uh, they were still quite weak, and um, and so therefore, uh, you know, the the, the term, um, you know, was not a strong one, and um, and so this in terms of, you know, well, one factor finds finds fame, the other finds weakness, and so they sort of effectively cancel each other out in this particular case. Um, which next gets to uh, the factor that's often addressed first, but. Uh, they chose to address it uh, uh, fifth is the, the first factor, which is the similarity of the marks themselves. Um, I should have noted that the, the design mark on the right, uh, the applicant uh, had um, uh, disclaimed its words, United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, as, um, um, as being descriptive. And... Um, and so, really, all its the, its registration covers is the, is the design itself. And while um, the uh, applicant, the the petitioner's mark is is for words, it, it it conceivably could look like the the design on the right. So, um, uh, you know, that, that certainly was possible. But the, you know, the dominant feature is you know the design element of of the mark on the right, um, and uh, the the board looked at uh, the appearance and connotation of the marks. Um, they, they looked at uh, U.S. that's on the left mark, and then United States spelled out on the right, and uh, also the use of the word Hispanic uh, on the mark on the right would certainly um, you know aid in in uh, distinguishing the marks. Um, they, they they tried to introduce some deposition testimony in which they they show the the the, the parties at one point during their um, uh, proceedings had been confused, um, but in all reality, the board noted that it was uh, more likely than not that the um, the person being asked the question about the different companies didn't understand 
that the questioner, you know, had moved on from talking about uh, his own company and, uh, you know, was now talking about uh, the petitioner. And, um, and so that's why he was confused as opposed to not necessarily having the marks confused themselves. And so, if anything, uh, they sort of discounted that evidence. Um, and uh, uh, particularly, uh, the board noted that, uh, you know, since, you know, the, the, these elements in both marks are weak, um, you know, weak marks are generally given only a very limited scope of protection. Um, they, they then tried to point out some, some um, minor cases in which the, the parties have been actual, actually confused. There was some misdirected mail between the two um, entities. Uh, but um, in all reality, the board looked at it and said it's really just, uh, you know, de minimis types of confusion. Um, and then um, what was really telling is that they looked at, uh, you know, what, what is, you know, the effect of, of uh, there's any market interference between these things, uh, the, these two entities, but there's no evidence of that. Instead, um, the respondent, the Hispanic Chamber, was able to point to evidence in which the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce had worked together for a long time and were frequent collaborators together on certain projects. And so, um, you know, since they had this history of working together, um, you know, the, ultimately, uh, you know, this, this factor weighed in their favor. And ultimately, the, uh, the board found that there was no likelihood of confusion and uh, denied petitioner the cancellation petition. Um, but, you know, since the, the registrant's mark, as I mentioned at the beginning, had, uh, you know, been canceled on its own, uh, you know, the mark remains canceled. Uh, but, uh, you know, the petitioner did get its, uh, its day in court. It's just it, it, it would have lost if, uh, uh, you know, the mark wasn't already canceled. So I thought this was an interesting case because it, uh, um, you know, goes through all the factors. Uh, admittedly, the, the opinion itself is quite long. Like I said, it's 107 pages. Uh, but it does a good, good. Uh, uh, it's interesting reading because it goes on to explain uh, a lot of the factors and, and how they, they certainly might be applied in, in other situations. Um, our next case is is another uh, proceeding. This one is a is an opposition. Uh, it's, to, it's an opposition to a pending application, and um, the applicant is a, a company called MotoZone. And um, they've got two applications um, for retail store and online retail store services, featuring motorcycle parts, and uh, repair and maintenance services for motorcycles and ATVs. And so that's what they do. Um, now, there is the family of AutoZone marks, uh, which uh, was brought uh, you know, by AutoZone Parts, Inc., is the, the uh, person uh, you know, filing the opposition. And... Um, uh, they are, you know, this nationwide chain of, uh, you know, auto parts stores. And so they have multiple registrations. In fact, they've got 11 uh, that are of record in this particular opposition. Um, and I've only focused on one of them here, just, uh, you know, the one dealing with retail store services in Class 35. Um, it uh, was interesting in this particular case that... Uh, um, the um, applicant MotoZone stipulated that uh, the AutoZone mark was famous. I'm not sure why they did that, but um, um, but but, the, but they agreed to that. And um, 
looking at the fact, you know, the uh, the board looked at uh, the similarities of the marks. They do appear similar and they sound similar. Uh, they both end with the same six letters, uh, the uh, T O Z O N E, and um, they they would certainly be pronounced the same. Uh, you know that they sound, uh, you know, with the with the same syllables, to the toe zone. Um, and uh, the marks are, you know, essentially substantially similar. Auto versus moto, um, you know, they have similar meanings. Uh, auto certainly, you know, refers to, you know, all types of automobiles and could cover motorcycles. And, um, you know, moto and auto uh, are, are certainly, um, you know, related technologies. Um, you know, the services were identical. You know, they both uh, covered retail store services. Um, and or were closely related, you know, this repair and maintenance services were certainly related. Um, they would cover similar trade channels um, in that uh, both of them uh, we would deal with consumers uh, needing parts uh, for their vehicles. Um, and so, you know, this factor favored AutoZone. Um, interestingly, the, um, the applicant, uh, MotoZone, at this MS Motorsports LLC that's doing business as MotoZone, uh, tried to argue a couple uh, points that, that didn't uh, hold sway at all. Um, they first tried to argue fair use, uh, but that's not uh, relevant in a board proceeding uh, because uh, infringement is not at, not at play here. Um, all that can be decided in a board proceeding is whether or not somebody's entitled to registration, not uh, whether or not uh, someone is infringing somebody else's mark. And uh, uh, so as a result, fair use, you know, it doesn't really come into play because fair use would be, be a defense to infringement, uh, which isn't an issue. Um, and the second argument they tried to make was uh, sort of a, an unclean hands type of argument that, uh, um, that the plaintiff was trying to monopolize the word zone, you know, by filing multiple oppositions and cancellations against other uh, people that just uh, included the word zone in their marks. Um, but again, that's not relevant in a board proceeding. It, it has no, you know, uh, play on whether or not, um, you know, AutoZone is, you know, entitled to maintain its registration or not. Um, so ultimately, the uh, opposition was sustained, was sustained, and the um, the um, application for applications for MotoZone were, were both refused. Um, the next one is a sort of an interesting one um, in that uh, um, the application uh, is uh, for Paycom and uh, their, the mark um, that was um, uh, cited against it is Paycomp, which was a, a Workers' Compensation Insurance Administration Services in Class 36, um, where Paycom is, is for uh, payroll services in both uh, 35 and 36. Um, and, uh, you know, while the services are, you know, similar and closer related, um, this one came down to uh, the, the meaning between com and comp. Um, you know, the examiner argued that uh, com means compensation, and so therefore had the same identical meaning between the two. Um, but the applicant was able to put on record uh, other definitions of the word COM, including one in which COM means commercial organization. And the, you know, examiner, uh, you know, argued opposite, but uh, the board, um, you know, seemed to follow the applicant here. 
and uh, pointed out that that you know this other meaning could could apply. And since uh, the purchasers of of, of uh, payroll and workers' comp administration services are both sophisticated consumers, you know they could certainly uh, find their way between the two, and uh, the refusal was uh, reversed. And uh, in this case, you know the applicant was entitled to register. Um, it uh, certainly is a, a an interesting decision, and it has been criticized, um, you know, in the um, sort of um, uh, practitioners. Uh, forums, uh, you know, that a lot of people think that uh, the um, the, exa um, the examiner was probably more more correct uh, than the applicant, but uh, that's not how the case came out. So um, uh, it is uh, it is what it is. Uh, the next one is uh, another interesting one. Um, this one is um, uh, relating to. Uh, Perfumes, um, but one of them, the applicant is uh, for retail store services featuring perfumes, and uh, their mark on the left is uh, perfume Paris with the design of an Eiffel Tower, whereas the registered mark that uh, had uh, the applicant application was denied, you know, the examiner had uh, cited against was this Paris perfumes uh, with sort of a, a stylized, uh, it's almost a vapor. Uh, like image above uh, above the word words Paris perfumes, and that's for distributorship and services in the field of, of perfumes. Um, and uh, you know, the the board noted that there was limited evidence that uh, distributorship and retail store services uh, would have been provided by the same entity. They're normally um, uh, rather distinct. Uh, distributorship services are, are generally provided, you know, to businesses, where retail store services would be provided to individuals, and so there'd be completely different channels of trade. Um, and uh, and so uh, the board focused on that, and when they could, they, and as part of the reason that they came to their their uh, their decision, and then um, you know, looking at the marks themselves, although that they do use. Uh, you both use the words perfume and Paris. Uh, the the dominant uh, uh, element of the mark on the left would be you know the design element of uh, of the Eiffel Tower, and um, you know there certainly is a something to be said for you know the design of the mark on the right with um, uh, the um, sort of a, the the vapor image that's there, and um, and so this certainly, uh, you know, were, you know, did did have different commercial impressions. And since the uh, the channels of trade were different, uh, the board, you know, went forward and uh, you know, reversed the refusal and allowed the application to proceed. So I thought this was an interesting one, and in that uh, you know the design element and and also the um, the, the different channels of trade. So certainly, um, you know, played a factor here. The next one um, is uh, for an application uh, on the left for 3D Clean, uh, by, uh, brought by Inray Benedent. Uh, well, brought by Benedent. Um, Inray Benedent is just the name of the the proceeding, um, and they they brought an application for electric toothbrushes. Well, there was an existing registration for 3D White for manual toothbrushes in Class 21, and um, uh, you know the 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 goods are certainly related, if not identical. Uh, there's plenty of evidence that uh, that uh, somebody providing manual toothbrushes toothbrushes might also 
um, you know, provide electric toothbrushes as well. Um, and so um, they, um, you know, they certainly were related. Um, and then just looking at the marks themselves, um, you know, the, the, they both use the word 3D, and then uh, clean and white are both terms that are commonly used in uh, relating to uh, tooth cleaning. Um, and so there, there certainly uh, would be uh, similar enough in the minds of consumers. And so in this case, uh, the refusal was affirmed. Oh, um, I've got a question uh, for Mr. Beiser. Uh, the question is, uh, what are the dates uh, for these opinions presented? Uh, these are ones that were all uh, within the last six months. Um, I believe the uh, the earliest one is from September, and um, there is one I believe from December here. Uh, so from uh, September to December of um, uh, 2012. I'm not sure. One of them may have been actually January of 2013. I'd have to look. Uh, but uh, copies of all the decisions. Um, when I when I post the webinar. Um, I'll have copies of the decisions uh, there as well, so uh, people will be able to, to read the actual opinions. Um, but also the numbers that I've given there, uh, you know, like the serial number and so forth, are, are ways, you know, if you really wanted to in the meantime, um, you know, pull up copies. But I will be providing copies of all the opinions as, um, you know, part of the materials. Um, the next case is uh, another interesting one uh, with uh, you know competing real estate services. Uh, the application on the left for housing angels um, is for real estate acquisition services and real estate investment um, and uh, you know real estate services to help stop foreclosure and it's a um, more related to um, somebody coming in to uh, to buy houses that are in foreclosure. Um, that is called housing angels, and the they were refused uh, for this registration for on the right for property angels for real estate agent in class 36. Um, and actually, there was two different refusals in this particular case. Um, first, it was a merely descriptive refusal. Um, you know that housing angels was merely descriptive of of someone who comes in and uh, uh, acts as an angel investor to purchase housing. Um, and it was found to be merely descriptive, uh, but then turning to the next refusal, which was you know the likelihood of confusion, which is relevant to us here, um, they um, you know they they both you know use the word angels and um, as the second word, and uh, housing has a similar meaning to property, um, and the services were uh, highly related. Uh, you know they're both related to real estate. Admittedly, one's for an agent, the other one is more you know, angel investment in, in foreclosure property, um, but they're certainly related. Um, you know, there's no restrictions in the channel of trade. Um, you know, they certainly both, you know, could be, um, you know, offered to the same type of consumers. Um, and, um, you know, the applicant tried to argue that the, that they were um, sophisticated purchasers, you know, these people, um, you know, with these, um, you know, these large transactions, they wouldn't, um, uh, necessarily be confused, um, but 
you know, the board noted that even sophisticated purchasers, you know, could could be confused in a, in a moment of weakness. Um, you know, perhaps even um, you know someone getting their house foreclosed on may not, uh, you know, make as much of a distinction as they would otherwise, you know, be between two entities. Um, and so uh, this factor is relatively neutral, um, or uh, the board found that they could even perhaps slightly be in favor of confusion. And so weighing all these elements, uh, focusing primarily on, um, you know, the similarity of the services and the marks themselves, uh, the refusal was affirmed. Um, the next case is uh, called In Ray Fourth Wall Restaurants. And uh, the applicant had uh, brought, uh, um, their mark is for bar and restaurant services provided in the style and motif of a Polynesian supper club in class 43. Um, and there were two registrations, both owned by the same company, uh, for uh, their restaurant services. Um, they've got uh, two different design marks. Uh, they both um, use the same flag, uh, this uh, flag with uh, red, uh, with a with a, a black square in the middle. Um, one of them is uh, just uh, forming the eye in hurricane, and the other one is hanging from a tree uh, to the left of the word hurricane. But it's for the same restaurant, uh, Hurricane Grill and Wings, and um, you know that their uh, services are for restaurant and cocktail lounge services, and uh, one of the, um, the second one also covers uh, takeout restaurant services. Um, and uh, this certainly the services were similar on uh, similar trade channels and potential customers. Um, and uh, looking at the marks themselves, um, the first factor here in, in the Dupont factors. Um, uh, the the board found that uh, you know the words on the marks on the right were more dominant than than the designs. Um, they they tried to show um, you know that there was a, you know weakness of the word hurricane. Um, you know, but the fact remains that hurricane in itself is is an arbitrary mark. Uh, you know, when used with restaurants, and um, you know there's nothing requiring hurricane to use there. Um, you know, that they tried to show that. Um, you know, hurricane has special meaning with um, um, with the state of Florida. You know that uh, you know people might come to expect Florida to be called a hurricane state, um, and so forth. They might have some other other element, but uh, they they weren't uh, swayed by that. And the applicant also tried to show uh, a significant number of uh, third party uses of of uh, the word hurricane for other restaurants, and um, you know. Essentially, this that, that particular factor was neutral. It was it was just not determinative that uh, um, that the the general public you know had you know, associated the word hurricane uh, with any one restaurant or um, so forth. It, it just uh, just was not a determinative enough factor for for the board here, and so uh, this particular refusal was again affirmed. Here's another one that's uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the applicant has a mark called Drill Wizard, uh, which is for athletic training equipment, which is um, uh, a computerized control that was sold as a component for a ball delivery training machine. And um, uh, so it's a rather sophisticated component of, uh, of a larger training machine. Uh, and so Drill Wizard is um, the computerized controls. And... Um, uh, it was initially refused due to uh, registration for the mark Shot Wizard for basketball training devices, uh, which were uh, devices placed over basketball rims to aid in shot training. And, 
you know, th this decision had a lot to do with the goods and uh, uh, less to do with the marks. Um, the um, the athletic training equipment, this uh, computerized controls, um, you know, so certainly were related. You know, they certainly both could be used for basketball. Um, you know, the applicant's mark was sold as a component of a larger piece versus, um, you know, the registrant's mark was a, a mechanical device put over the rim. Um, and, uh, you know, there was no evidence that, uh, you know, the similar products uh, would necessarily emanate for the same source. I mean, uh, they, 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 uh, the board focused on uh, one decision uh, that uh, had come out where um, uh, a mark... Uh, they both could have been used uh, for flashlights or for for light devices, and so you know the mere fact that both both uh, you know devices emanated light did not necessarily mean there'd be confusion between two different types of of goods that produce light. Uh, so that was an important case uh, that they they looked at here. Um, and looking at the sophistication of the purchases, uh, Drill Wizard is part of a component for a machine that would cost between five and six thousand uh, dollars. You know, versus um, the Shot Wizard, which is, uh, I believe, that they, they found that was uh, uh, marketed for ninety nine ninety five. So, uh, so certainly, uh, you know, completely different markets here. Um, and uh, they um, are, um, you know, it's certainly different there. Um, you look at the marks themselves, uh, both use the word wizard, um, and since drill wizard, you know, related to computerized controls, um, the board found that the, the connotation of wizard in that context, you know, provided a different look and feel uh, for the, the shot wizard, which was, um, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, training aid, sort of a different connotation of the word wizard. And so that and the difference between the word drill and the word shot, you know, allowed the marks to be more readily distinguished. Um, and since the other factors, the other DuPont factors were relatively neutral, neutral the refusal was reversed. And so again, this 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 application application was allowed to proceed. Um, our last case here is um, the um, applicant had uh, applied for the mark uh, "My Big Fat Greek Wine," which is for wine in Class 33, whereas there was a registration in place for restaurant services for the mark "My Big Fat Greek Restaurant." shown in the design format shown here. Um, uh, interestingly, both have uh, disclaimed the words Greek wine and Greek restaurant. So the only thing distinctive about both of them would be My Big Fat, uh, which brings to mind the movie, but uh, uh, the board actually never talks about that in their decision, interestingly enough. Um, you know, the, the, looking at the marks themselves, um, the marks are, you know, highly similar. Um, you know, certainly find that, you know, wine and restaurants could be related and that uh, wine might be served in restaurants. Um, and uh, so certainly there's uh, plenty of cases that show when um, when the marks are close, uh, the relatedness of, of the two marks need not be as close. Um, um, and there was certainly no evidence that, uh, um, that um, restaurants do necessarily... Um, you know, while they may serve wine, there's no evidence that the restaurant would, you know, necessarily bottle its own. Um, so certainly it's possible, but it wasn't likely. Um, and, um, you know, there was no restriction on the on the markets here. Um, you know, they both could be in the same geographic areas. Um, the, the, um, 
actually the 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 um the applicant made a big deal of the fact that they were completely across the country from the other um but that really doesn't matter uh, it's, it's uh for for this type of a proceeding um you know whether or not somebody's entitled to registration or not you know the the registration is presumed to cover the whole entire United States regardless of whether or not the fact that they may actually serve, you know do that there and so just looking at the similarities of marks themselves, since they were similar enough and they certainly had some relatedness, even though they weren't as close as they might not necessarily have to be, uh, you know, if the marks weren't as similar, uh, they, um, you know, aff uh, affirmed the refusal. And so um, uh, th th that particular uh, mark was, uh, was denied. Um, so this is probably a good point to get into questions. I believe there is a question already. Um, but let me um, uh, go ahead and um, just simply say that uh, if you do have a question, now would be a great time to do so. Um, there is um, uh, a um, um, software that, that will uh, will allow you to um, you know put, put raise your hand and, and ask the question. Uh, for those of you watching the recording, uh, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to call or email me at the address shown in your screen. One second, let me pause to read the question that's already been presented. Uh, the question is whether or not the DuPont case uh, that I've mentioned applies primarily to trademark trial and appeal board decisions, or does it also apply to Lanham Act litigation? Um, and the, the thing is, is that the, these particular factors have been adopted by courts, um, but they wouldn't necessarily uh, cite uh, these factors from the DuPont decision. Um, in fact, uh, what's often the case is uh, what you'll need to do if you're, you know, filing a brief in a particular district jurisdiction, uh, you would need to f find the case uh, for your jurisdiction that, you know, uh, implements these particular factors. And um, uh, so, um, uh, but, but th these are the factors that have been adopted and, um, uh, you know, while there might be small variations uh, from jurisdiction to a jurisdiction in actual Lanham Act litigation, uh, these particular factors um, I would say are you know in 99.9 percent .9 of them. So I hope that answers your question. Are there any others? Well, I'm not seeing anybody else with their hand raised, um, so we'll go ahead and uh, presume nobody else has any questions at this time. If something comes to you, please feel free to call or email me. Um, I get, thank you, everyone, for attending. As a reminder. Um, our next webinar is coming up on February 6, 2013, again from 12 to 12.30 in the subject of trademark dilution. Um, and um, uh, again, those of you needing Illinois MCLE credit, uh, if you're watching the recording and you need to uh, get credit, uh, please um, send me your name, ARDC number, and uh, um, how you watched uh, the webinar and when you did so. Um, otherwise, uh, I wish everybody a great day.